Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Venom, Let There Be Carnage, the sequel to Venom, starring Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock with the alien symbiote that talks and does farty, poopy, butt, dick humor and loves eating people's heads it's uh you know the people like this character ever since the comics and uh, i think people waited a long time for this movie to happen the original one and it actually was a kind of a surprise success i mean with marvel it's never really a surprise you kind of just assume these things are always going to be successful but i don't think people expected it to do as well as it did and then a sequel was greenlit and it got delayed with the pandemic, but here we are. It's out now. It's actually been out for like a month already. I'm a little late getting to this episode, but when the opportunity arose to speak about this movie, I was like, yeah, I wanted to do an episode on it, even though I never got to it. So you know what? Let's do it. And joining me is Petros from the Caged In podcast a podcast that was all about Nicolas Cage and has now moved on to all things Coppola, the entire Coppola family, uh, which happens to be a very, very spread out uh, tree of connections. There is a lot to talk about when it comes to the Coppola family, but uh, you should check out that podcast to hear more about that. But I was very happy to have Petros here on piecing it together to talk puzzle pieces for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So that is coming up here in a second. Before we get to the conversation, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You could, of course, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Pocket Cast, Spotify, all the major podcast apps. We're there. I think. Uh, If we're not there, you should let me know and I'll make sure to get there. And that way you can hit that subscribe button. You can rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods. Uh, And, you know, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget, we have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where you might be hearing this right now if you're one of our awesome subscribers, uh, because I am posting this before it hits the main feed over on the Patreon. But uh, yeah, you might be hearing this now, or you might be hearing one of our other episodes. 
I don't know how you'd be hearing one of our other episodes while I'm doing the spiel. Well, you're not hearing it during one of the other episodes. But anyway, you might be a subscriber, and if you are, I thank you. But there's lots of great content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, which is another movie podcast that I produce, and from my music career. So lots of content over there on the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, so check that out. And without any further ado, let's talk about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. All right, so we are going to talk about Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and joining me today is Petros from Caged In. How is it going, Petros? It's going very well. I'm uh, currently fresh off a second watch of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and not only, not like, uh, we're talking about a film that is exclusively in cinemas here in the UK. Uh-huh. As I think it is in the US, right? And yeah, it's there. yeah. So I've now seen it in IMAX and uh, 4DX, which, like, for people listening are not uh, familiar with what 4DX is, it is basically like a theme park ride transposed into the cinema setting. So if there is wind, there is wind in the screen. If there is rain, <laughs> yeah. there is rain in the screen. And <laughs> if there is the slightest movement you are thrown about like a fucking crash test dummy. So, like, I, I generally walked out of this screening today feeling like, can I make a compensation claim against the cinema for whiplash? Like, especially when you get into, like, the third act of this film and, like, even any time Venom spoke, there's, like, this rumbling in the back of your seat. Oh, yeah, there's like, so much bass in his voice. For yeah, sure. yeah, so they just, like, rumble it and, like, they kind of, like, put these, like, almost not quite as strong as those like massage chairs but like that kind mm. of like that effect of these kind of like i don't know what yeah what they would be like these pressure pads that kind of press into your back or like wind effects when bullets fly yeah. past your head so like my mind is spinning from from experiencing <laughs> uh yeah venom twice in arguably the best picture in IMAX and then the gimmicky 4DX experience. That reminds me of of when uh, when I got vaccinated earlier this year, and my first time back to the theater was for Godzilla versus Kong, which I I loved. It's just so ridiculous and so over the top. And I was like, okay, I've now broken the seal. I I went back to the theater after 15, 16 months or whatever. Two days later, I was back to go watch it again in 4DX. I was like, <laughs> I have to see this this stupid-ass movie in 4DX because I knew it would be a blast. And it was. It's a total freaking roller coaster ride. But uh, I'm especially glad that you saw this movie twice this week because uh, I watched this movie at a press screening a couple weeks before it even came out in the United States. So we're talking like a month ago already. <laughs> At this point, so you'll you might have to fill in a couple blanks for me along the way. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. I watched a couple of refresher videos on YouTube to kind of get caught back up to speed here. But you know, before we start getting into Venom too much, it is your first time on the show. Uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about you and your podcast and what you do? Okay, so yeah, I host Caged In, which started off its life as a Nicolas Cage retrospective podcast from the perspective of like somebody who was. Um, a Nicolas Cage agnostic kind of like uh, it's so it's got this meta narrative of me kind of like being on the fence and over time I've I've come like an ardent Nicolas Cage fan and supporter mm-hmm. and kind of possibly like the films I shouldn't do 
way more than I should. So like, yeah, I'm a sure. big like stolen apologist and like think it's oh, like boy. a spiritual sequel to, is it stolen? Yeah. It's like a spiritual sequel to both uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance and Con Air, like reteaming mm. Nicolas Cage and Simon West uh, behind the director's chair. But um, it has now morphed like like Venom. I've I've got a symbiotic uh, parasite inside of me, which is the Coppola family. So looking at the the wider family that Nicolas Cage comes from to determine the question are they the greatest film family of all time? And kind of like seeing where all these weird tendrils go. So whether it is the big man himself, Francis, or Eleanor Coppola, who's like recently directed a film in the last few years, or even like people you don't even know. Like you couldn't go like, oh, they're a Coppola. Or there's, yeah, the Schwartzman family. So that that kind of side of it. Or people who were married in for select time. So Patricia Arquette, but only from 96 to 2002 when she was married to Nicolas Cage or Spike Jones for that brief window. He was married to Sophia Coppola. So yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of spiraling and spiraling. And uh, like that sounds like I'm already got enough on my plate. Like (laughs) so, so soon to be released, I'll be starting a kind of Patreon exclusive podcast, which will kind of act as the, the the sequel, as it were, to Coppola Connections, which will be movie brat bros, where I look at all the films of like Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese, all of that mm. kind of clique that Francis Ford Coppola used to hang around with, like back in the seventies, sure. and look at it through the lens of how did their careers match up to Francis Ford Coppola's at that time, and like I don't know, like say it's like nineteen seventy four, it's like. Did anyone make a better film than uh, The Conversation and The Godfather at, in that year right. or whatever? Or it's like, I guess a lot of them would, would trounce Coppola when it comes to the 80s because kind of uh, after Apocalypse Now to a lot of people took a nosedive. I like that you're finding these different angles to uh, to enter into film with, and then they're all things that branch out so far. Yeah. There's like <laughs> yeah, so yeah, many yeah, directions yeah. you can go with it. Yeah, there's there's one there's like one area in the whole kind of Coppola family and involvement that they've had in film that like is an absolute no go for me, which is like uh, much to like my dismay and I guess to a lot of people's because it's like you you obviously look at people in the people they surround themselves with or, or who they put their faith in and like Francis Ford Coppola has produced several Victor Salvo films. And it's like, ah, mm. oh, the real like, do you know what I mean? Skid mark on on his career, really. Like, it, like it, it's like you can't it, skip it though. He made Jack, but he also produced Jeepers Creepers, like a oh, film boy. made by a known paedophile. Like, it's, uh, yeah. So sorry to go so heavy in the in the early stages, but yeah. So there's uh yeah i don't know whether to cover that one uh to to be confirmed on that <laughs> yeah i guess you'll cross that bridge when you get to it but uh yeah i i, I don't know with this movie that we're going to talk about today uh venom let there be carnage i i should ask like leading up to this were you a fan of the first one were you looking forward to the sequel so i realized as i sat down to watch the sequel that i didn't remember a single thing about the first one <laughs> Yeah, that's like, pretty fair. 
Because I, I remember watching it on, I think I was on like sick leave from work because I had an operation and I just kind of went on these like mad like movie binges. I, I remember like one day, I, I started off the day watching The Holy Mountain and then just had a, an urge to watch all of the like Chucky sequels I'd never seen. So like kind of mm-hmm. started at Seed all the way up to, is it like Cult of Chucky? And then in that kind of milieu of being off my tits on codeine for most of it so just like high Mm. as a kite i watched venom and i remember having fun with it i remember thinking like it's kind of it's kind of refreshing to have something that's not a part of this massive like mcu where you don't you have to see like even if it's not like a direct sequel to something it feels like sometimes with the mcu you've got to watch all these other installments, do you know what I mean? It feels like you're dropped into like yeah. a, a soap opera, like midway right. through, and like, so who's that? Why are they here? Why is it relevant that like this guy has turned up for a minute and everyone else in the cinema is going, ooh, and I'm there going like, who who is that? Like, yeah, so but like, I don't know who that is, and I don't want to know who that is. I just want to have fun at the movies. Exactly. Right? Well, Whereas with like Venom, like yeah, I remember it being it being fun, but then I also I think I heard word pretty early on with the sequel that is like it almost doesn't matter if you had seen the first mm. one, and that's very much how I feel. It's like it, it feels like a, a contained story that doesn't need a lot of like I don't know. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. It, it carries on so much from the first one, and it doesn't feel like it. It leads to anywhere. Do you know what sure. I mean? That, or, or, yeah, like directly that it's like you have to see this one to see whatever sequel or wherever it tangentially goes in the future. Yeah, until that post credit scene, but I'm sure <laughs> we'll get into that at some point uh, somewhere in this conversation. But why don't we start jumping into some puzzle pieces here and we'll get into a lot more about the movie and what we liked and didn't like along the way. But uh, what do you have for your first puzzle piece? Um, so I've got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go in with a, a uh, off the wall choice here and go with a marriage story. Um, okay. And, and for me, that is like the relationship you have between um, Eddie Brock and Anne, and this kind of like them trying to find this semblance of normalcy, whilst kind of both caring for this, like in this case, like this symbiotic son that they they weirdly both care for in this film sure. and them kind of like yeah juggling how to how to get like a normal relationship out of that and kind of be 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 amicable be friends and almost like by the end of it when you get that scene uh moment like where eddie brock says to Anne as they're like walking away from the cathedral like you take care of yourself and like venom pops out and he's like you too, Dr. Dave. And it's like, <laughs> it, it feels like that moment at the end of a marriage story when like uh, Adam Driver's character like has come to the house for like, I think it's like Halloween party or like they're going to a Halloween party and Scarlett Johansson's moved on and she's got like a, a partner and it's it's amicable and it's sweet. And like, I think it this film at the heart of it is a is a relationship story whether it is about the relationship of eddie brock and venom or Ed, eddie brock and 
Anne or just yeah all these like and obviously the villains like it's, it's, it's it, relationships seem to be at the core of this so like yeah it feels yeah. like a, a weird a weird puzzle piece but like my there's something about it that went a marriage story but with uh symbiotic aliens and a serial killer who wants to just get his sweetheart back and destroy the fucking world like yeah that that, yeah. that sounds about right to me yeah, I mean, this movie is all about the relationships between these people, for sure. And I mean, it, it it's such a, a weird uh, blending of styles. And I I wish it worked more because it, it it is like a refreshing take, like you said earlier, about how it doesn't have to set up with the other, you know, installments of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that. And you get to just kind of enjoy it on its own terms of what it is. And the fact that they take this big, giant, over-the-top CGI mess of a superhero movie and make it about his relationship with his ex, with his relationship with uh, Venom itself, and and just all those relationships is what makes the movie. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do wish that I liked it more, uh, <laughs> but I think that's a great puzzle piece to kick it off with. And I'm just going to kind of piggyback right on top of that and go with the odd couple as another <laughs> puzzle piece, which goes right along with that same idea of just these these people are just, you know on each other constantly and um you know it could go back to the original you know the sitcom or the movies or any any of the many things that are inspired by you know the classic odd couple setup but you know in this one i think that they recognize that that's kind of what people connected with the most with the first venom movie mm-hmm. is the two of them kind of going at each other especially eddie brock and venom but also uh the the romantic relationship with with michelle williams characters so uh they took that and just really ran with it here well one of the things i really loved about this is obviously like it feels like it's made by committee but in the best possible way like it's kind of like the film has been crowdsourced in like they've actually listened to the fans for like the right things of going like and and like it's beautiful that it's 90 minutes it's not like we're living in an age of overblown two hour two hour 20 like blockbuster films it's like to strip it back to 90 minutes and also like i don't know really like yeah focus on things that work whether it's like even even like i don't know if it's weird fan service or like it could be looked at pandering but like I think, like, the first Venom, there was a lot of um, talk in, like, the LGBTQ plus community of, like, Venom being, like, this queer hero of, like, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, this acceptance of self and acceptance of this side of you and, like, kind of letting that out. And they, like, they pay, like, massive lip service to that with this, like, great scene of, like, Venom kind of, and he says it, he's like, I'm out of the Eddie Brock closet as he kind of like parades his way through this this like underground uh, San Francisco like I don't know like yeah kind of he, he, he says I'm around freaks and I love it and it's like it's like it's like finding his people and it's like I, I, I love that aspect of it and I feel like yeah not to this isn't a puzzle piece of mine but you saying like the odd couple it kind of has that the plot of of the film very much plays with like stuff whether it's like stepbrothers and stuff like that where it has that kind of like they get they're getting on at the beginning and then they they drift apart and then it's like they must come back together at the sure. end to kind of overcome where like whereas this is a big battle in a cathedral that it's to 
to to fucking shred it at the Catalina wine mixer. Do you know what I mean? It's like sure, it, 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 and, and that again is like that odd couple thing. And it's like I've never seen the odd couple itself to to pull that as a puzzle piece. But like I just kind of wrote down odd couple comedies that kind of like sure and, and that that whole like kind of genre. And it's like I was kind of scrambling for for ideas of what that could like summed up to without sounding like yeah it it is really its own kind of subgenre of comedy and so yeah it it, it's inspired so many things and i i think uh you know definitely that that's an easy one to go to but uh what do you what do you got for your next piece so my next piece would be uh frank hennenlotter's brain damage and i think like this one really really feels like it's like i would love to know if it was like an influence on the film and like to go back to that specifically that club scene there is a scene in brain damage which yeah if 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 people haven't seen brain damage is is basically about a parasitic alien who kind of peeks out of this like this guy's head or like kind of detaches from him called elmer who needs to feast on brains to survive so very much like venom as well and there is this weird scene of Oh, I guess it's like, oh, it's a it's a really graphic scene of of this guy going to like a uh, an alternative club and ends up like getting head from a from a woman and like this this thing like bursts out of his trousers and like rips this woman's brain out stuff like that. But it was like in those moments and obviously yeah that that whole idea of the this parasitic alien that is comical and sweet but at the same time it's like can it be trusted it's right like grotesque like in brain damage there's a there's a whole moment where the the elmer breaks into like a show tune when like the 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 main character is like is lowest ebb and it kind of like reminds me of like scenes in this when you get those confrontations between like eddie and venom when it's like you're nothing without me and like <laughs> and, and that's kind of like what elmer says is like you you kind of I, i'm like a drug like you need me to survive so yeah i think brain damage i'm um, yeah I, I wouldn't even i wouldn't even be surprised if like the creator of the venom comic like i'm not sure if it lines up to kind of it's a 90s like right i wonder it, it, timeline wise that might actually work out i'm not sure when the uh the venom comic originated but i i need to watch that movie i'm sure i saw it back in high school but it's <laughs> been like forever and it, it just sounds so great and i i need to revisit that one of these days well yeah it seems like it's the year of like frank hen and lotter appreciation in modern movies whether it's like you've kind of got the the intentional or unintentional homage to brain damage in this and then the kind of yeah parasitic twin like going crazy basket case that's kind of like a lot of people are jumping on and saying like malignant malignant like malignant's taken that from that and like it's it's like it's 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 a great time to be a frank hennenlotter fan if you're into your yeah scrungy low budget new york uh new york slock horror movies absolutely uh well speaking of uh schlocky horror movies uh i'm gonna go with little shop of horrors which kind of goes right along with brain damage venom is this thing that eddie has to feed and keep him happy and keep him satiated and if not he's gonna end up eating people and causing all kinds of havoc and their relationship kind of uh 
hinges on on Eddie, you know, keeping him happy. And uh, it's very kind of similar to uh, Little Shop of Horrors with with uh, uh, Audrey and and trying to keep that giant killer plant happy and it's it's uh this movie i could see if they were to continue with a third venom i could see musical sequences that would be like kind of the next logical step to Mm. take from uh that club scene you talked about uh it's it's just this movie is just total camp the whole way through and i think takes a lot of cues from that yeah i think it does it does very much lean into the camp of it all doesn't it it kind of like is like this is it feels like they all know what they're doing and it's kind of like a master stroke to go what is the biggest issue of this film for a lot of people it'd be like cgi so it's like how do we combat that issue it's like let's get a man who kind of like at this point is like the master of motion capture and like cgi and andy circus to direct it it's like let's litter the cast with like heavy hitters do you know what I mean like whether it's like Tom Hardy's own friends like in Stephen Graham and then like you got like Naomi Harris as Shriek and Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy and it's like on paper you kind of look at that cast list and go like wow like that that's great and it's like they have yeah back to that point of like they've just listened to the fans and gone you liked it being camp well you ain't seen nothing yet. We're going to camp it sure. up. We're going to, we're just going to have fun for 90 minutes and throw you around the, the cinema and then let you out into the world and tell people whether you loved it or hated it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do think, um, I, I still haven't decided whether I like this one better than the first one or not, mm-hmm. but I do think Andy Serkis is, he's so great, like in everything he does. And I think he's still a little green when it comes to being a director, but Mm -hmm. I, I really want to see him do more stuff. And I think this is a a great, if, if not great, at least interesting stepping stone towards where he's going to end up because everything he does, he seems to excel at eventually. Yeah. I'm not sure if it is the case, but like this film very much feels like it is like, you know, like when you hear those stories of, um, like George P. Cosmotos, where it's like, oh, he was he, he was the director of Cobra, but then you hear these like stories years on where it's like, oh no, it's actually Stallone directed that film, but for like insurance reasons or whatever, like he couldn't sure. star in it and direct it. And it like, with Tom Hardy's fingerprints being so all over this, it feels like down to casting decisions, down to like yeah he's even like he co-wrote it too yeah like story by like the writer is his best friend kelly marcel and it's like it it, even down to there is siegfried the kind of the um he's like another um mental patient at raven court is a uk like uh hip-hop artist and spoken word artist scroobius pip who Mm. was in taboo the like um I think it was like that a BBC, series yeah yeah, yeah. alongside mm. Stephen graham so it's almost it was like <laughs> yeah it, it will come to one of my one of my puzzle pieces but it all feels like this beautiful incestuous mess with kind of tom hardy at the helm of it and yeah it, 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 it yeah. could feel almost like tom hardy's the puppet master somewhat to being like sure we, we, got, we want it a bit like this i, I, I can't even do a tom hardy voice because i don't even think he knows what is natural accent is anymore 
Nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one has any clue. Uh, but what do you got for your next piece? Well, yeah, I should throw it out. I, I did lead myself with a good segue there. Um, and this, again, is a weird tangential one, but um, it's any film made by uh, Adam Sandler's uh, production company, Happy Madison. Cause it very I knew much... that's where you were going to go when you were just saying that last stuff there about the, <laughs> the friends all kind of getting together. I was like, I yeah. bet he's going to Adam Sandler. Because <laughs> like that, yeah, it's, it's a kind of like, uh, it feels like an excuse to be like, what I'm going to make a film, it's going to be fun. Let's all let's all just like pack up my friends and have uh, a barbecue at like a holiday resort and make grown-ups for instance. Do you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. feels it very much feels like that vibe but unlike uh the, a lot of the kind of Adam Sandler fair this feels like it's done with the best intentions instead of I don't know like giving um people some people who like don't really deserve a platform to be in movies a platform do you know what I mean like people like alan sure. cover or rob snyder to some degree like this feels like tom hardy going i'm best friends with stephen graham arguably like one of the best like character actors out there he's who's so like, good yeah do you know what I mean? like he'll, he'll show up in He's like constantly on British TV in like uh, like drama miniseries or and then like he just pops up in The Irishman. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. kind of stealing the show, going toe to toe with like Al Pacino. There's like a great like anecdote. I think that scene when he smashes the um, ice cream off the table when he has that like con- confrontation with Al Pacino. That film like on the first take, Al Pacino went whoa whoa this kid's got it like this is where we're going with it so like he's really shown himself to be this like powerhouse of of modern acting and then it's like for tom hardy to just be like i've got him at my disposal just feels like i didn't it, it takes the film into like this weird otherworldly thing and it's i i love i don't know yeah obviously hosting a coppola podcast it's like i love nepotism done well and sure, uh, that, sure. That, that's what that's what this film feels like it does by the way uh al pacino part of that adam sandler universe of yeah course. of course let's, the don pacino himself yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> well uh that's a great piece there uh i'm gonna go to another piece here this is a super 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 obvious one but i i think i think it fits and is worth bringing up uh and that's just little bits and pieces of all of the different spider-man properties the the Mm -hmm. different continuums within it the sam raimi spider-mans for the kind of very comic booky feel and very over the topness of them the amazing spider-mans as bad as they are for the the cgi fights and you know all all that stuff uh and then you know the most recent uh tom holland ones as part of the mcu especially now that this is you know again spoiler alert but uh with the post-credit scene we know that this is finally going to kind of uh somehow or other link up with the mcu so you get little bits and pieces of everything that's kind of made the different spider-men over the years uh is kind of mashed together in here i think that, that that's great and i'm that, on, on on the topic of that post credit scene i've really been racking my brain as to what it is telling us as an audience like is going to happen next and it's like because obviously like it we have that moment where the room changes and like all of a sudden the tv is the the end point of 
I was it uh, Far From Home when it's revealed by uh, Joe Jonah Jameson that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Right. And then, like, my brain went, oh, is this, like, is that the moment when Dr. Strange, because, like, from the trailer of No Way Home, is is that the nexus point when he kind of, like, opens the portal to all of the other dimensions? But obviously he's he's making them forget like who Peter Parker is and stuff like that. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. Is it going to be, is it going to be a Sony property? Is it going to be an MCU property? Like it's kind of like baffling at this moment. Like I, cause at one point I was like, is he going to turn up in no way home? Like, is that, is that where this is going? It's like, cause that would be fucking crazy considering like that, that film's yeah. only out in two months. Right, right. Yeah, it it would be crazy. And you got to imagine that there are lawyers and whatever it is behind the scene just working overtime to like figure out a way to make this happen cuz you know, this movie I don't think it should have been as big of a hit as as it is and it's done really good business and obviously we're still actually in the pandemic i mean it's not like it's over and uh box office is not returned to normal but this movie did huge numbers and the marvel movies keep doing huge numbers and you know if we want to see uh you know hollywood and big budget movies continue uh through all this these are the ways that it's going to be led forward i mean you know i i'm certainly more interested in you know uh you know the indie films and stuff like that than anything but i also care about movie theaters and i care about keeping the the whole business going and everything and this is what's going to keep the business going if they could find a way to continue these things yeah it's weird because one of the things i saw today was the trailer for morbius like it was like Mm -hmm. it's a real like spider-man like sony centric trailers because it was morbius uh no way home like they were like kind of the 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 two big trailers beforehand i was like that trailer even has allusions to spider-man because like there's a there's a bit in that trailer where it says like there's a picture of spider-man on the wall and it says like murderer over the top and it's like Mm. he's is that involved as well? And it's like, it's a real muddled mess of where this is all going. Cause it's like, we've like, you're saying about like the lawyers and that it's like, so is that then going to tie in somewhere to, or, or is there going to be like a splinter thing where Sony are like, Oh, we're going to do some of our films with Tom Holland. That isn't a part of the MCU. And it's like, it's 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 exciting at the same time because it's like it could just be like it could actually be like comics themselves where it's like these person like this 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 artist and writer are doing their run over here this mm. do you know what I mean this 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 writer and this artist are doing their work over there pick and choose which kind of issues you want to pick up and put down and stuff like that and it's it's a fascinating Sounds like a multiverse prospect. to me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a multiverse of mad- madness. That's what it definitely is. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to get so complicated and crazy, but uh, I'm sure comic book fans will, will love that. Will but, love uh, so what do you got for your next piece? So my next piece is a kind of, uh, I think, a forgotten 90s Denzel Washington movie called Fallen. Which oh, yeah. If you remember the plot of that, like Denzel Washington at the beginning goes to meet uh, a murderer who's on death row. So very like mirrors this very heavily. 
And once this murderer is killed, his kind of MO continues. And then throughout the machinations of the plot and kind of some digging, we find out that it's it's not it's not a person who's committing these murders. It is a kind of evil spirit that passes from person to person. So very mm. much like those scenes we get in this of like the vet like the venom escaping from people and then like jumping onto the next and what was always always creepy about uh fallen for me is like you see these sequences where people are bumping into each other and it it gets to that point that you don't know who is the evil entity and stuff like that and i just like it jumped sure. out to me from from like kind of moment one i was like are they drawing upon fallen here because like i was like it's a film I like weirdly rewatched last year because I was like, I remember really loving that film, and I think there are like moments in it where you kind of like it's talking and taunting. It's yeah, the way like uh, Carnage kind of like taunts and or even like Venom taunts Eddie and stuff like that. It feels it feels it feels almost like of a piece, and I think they would make a weird double bill together. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. No, I like bringing that up as a piece. I hadn't thought of that, but I, you know, I don't remember what the reasoning was, but just recently I was talking with somebody about how they don't really make movies like Fallen anymore, like the uh, supernatural thriller, like where it's still like a cop thriller kind of thing, but there's, you know, either religious or, you know, some kind of other supernatural stuff thrown in there. And that it's kind of a fun little subgenre that I'd love to see stuff like that happen again. Yeah, I think it falls down to that, like the death of the mid-budget movie and like movies sure. for, for adults essentially, right? Like, because like, it, it it falls in that category of like post seven movies as well, but it's like, mm -hmm. how about seven, but with an evil entity? And it's like you can imagine the elevator pitch for that, and it's like, who you got starring in it? We got we got Denzel and we got John Goodman in it. It's like, here's your here's your like fifty million dollar check, like back in those days <laughs> when they like would take risks on movies like that. That like a kind of you and far between in this day and age. Sure, sure. Well, I'll go into another piece here. Uh, and this is like my last like good piece. I have a few other possible ideas I might bring up, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to bring up 1994's Natural Born Killers from Oliver Stone, which of course also has Woody Harrelson as a serial killer and with his uh, crazy wife, who's also nuts, um, as they connect and go in their crime spree and you know of course that woody harrelson is back here squarely in that kind of a setup uh as his character is carnage with his wife that he needs to break out of prison shriek is that the name i i didn't even write it down but yeah naomi harris but woody harrelson's such a fun actor to watch he in so many things i mean he he kind of you know speaking of nick cage and and people like that he kind of like doesn't always you know connect every time he comes out for a role because he does so much but he can be so much fun to watch though when he picks the right projects and He's strangely, I, I don't know if he works 100% in this movie, but it, he's still fun to watch regardless. Well, I think what's interesting about Woody Harrelson in this movie is like, he, he is, he, he's having so much fun. And it's like, once you get past yeah. the wig, like, cause that is like, that <laughs> yeah. is kind of like a glaring thing in this film. It's like, 
oh Woody's Woody's in a wig and it's like it's not a good it's not a good it's like sitting on top of his head like as opposed yeah. to like being a part of his head. and like his character I don't like that's the thing like it's kind of great that like the film doesn't go too much into like who he was before this. It's kind of just like, here he is. He's a serial killer. We're yeah. going to like, we're just going to go on with the plot. At some point he's going to be infested with like carnage. And you get like some really interesting scenes, whether it's like the, the moment when um, Eddie Brock's reading that postcard from him and uh, you get that weird like, animation that comes up on screen where he's like telling his story of like, who he was as a kid and how he like he murdered his grandma and his mum and his dad and stuff like that and like went to this yeah. um I don't know like correctional facility for kids like St Estes and stuff like that and it's like yeah like he looked like I I I just I don't know there's something charming about Woody Harrelson and obviously like you can tell he like he was probably thinking like for him, it's like he's revisiting that character from Natural Born Killers in some way. Like he gets to yeah. kind of flex that muscle once again, and it's yeah. I I, I do see your point in it's like I don't know if he works. One one of the things I, I wasn't sure about as well is it starts off in 1996, and like. Cletus Cassidy is supposed to be like a teenager and it's like I was just trying to figure out like do do that I don't think the ages match up do you know what I mean yeah. like like Woody was what like however many seasons or like I oh know Cheers was done by mm -hmm. like 96 do you know what I mean like, sure <laughs> so like it's like I'm not and they like overdub the 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 teenage actor with, right, it had with, Woody Harrelson's voice on him, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's like no teenager sounds like that. No teenager <laughs> sounds like as that as that like disheveled and kind of like world weary as Woody Harrelson does. Oh, I forgot all about that until just now. That is so funny. Yeah, what what, what a choice that is. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Oh man! Well, uh, do you have any more pieces? Yeah, I've got, I've, I've, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a few. Uh, I guess uh, the next one that's a kind of a big one would be like Hellraiser, in the, okay. the fact that um, Cletus Cassidy very much is this character who is like, he seems like he is all about pleasure and just all he wants is to reconnect with like the love of his life, which very much hmm. like mirrors that relationship between frank and um i always forget i forget the character's name or the actress's name from hellraiser but that kind of thing of like all that matters to them is kind of like getting together and like the kind of sexual like chemistry and stuff like that because you get that moment when he reveals himself as carnage to shriek and she's like that's so hot and it's right, that kind yeah. of, and it's that weird like gloopy sinew because you get those scenes in hellraiser when frank is like this gooey like fleshless man and stuff like that and like you get like kit like they kiss and stuff like that and it's this like grossness to it and i think like the kind of yeah it, it reminds me of um hellraiser and the the griminess of the kind mm. of characters and the kind of like i don't know like sludgy like they feel like they'd be horrible to touch 
especially Sugar. like carnage like it's like you just feel like you would you you just need to like wash yourself have a shower immediately after after touching him and it's like yeah any any time i don't know any time to talk about clive barker and uh, how how great hellraiser is as well so if any anything kind of borrows from that i'm kind of on board yeah, Hellraiser is another series that, uh, I, again, I, I'm sure I watched at least one or two of them back in high school, maybe all of them, but I haven't seen them since then, and I need to revisit that series. Yeah, I, for me, it is very much, it's a trilogy, and like, mm-hmm. at a push, and like, the first one is arguably, like, it's because it's, it's weird, it's like like this film, like, people have might have this perception of it, and like hellraiser people have this perception of it of being like this thing of like they obviously see like pinhead as the 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 kind of main villain of it and it's like he hardly gets any screen time really in it and it's more Hmm. about it's it's this weird like gothic body horror romance but and like the real villain of it is 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 the kind of like uh female character who's going out doing frank's bidding and bringing back these kind of desperate men who she lures in with like sex and then like brings them up to this attic and murders them so like frank can like consume their essence to kind of build up another layer of his body and it's like like that that is the film it is and it's like yeah this film very much looks like bang bang cgi like yeah marvel fair and stuff like that but like at the heart of it it is a kind of like we said earlier on it's 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 character piece about about the the relationship between a failing journalist and his symbiotic kind of alien buddy yeah it it would be weird to see the dark and gritty version of of the venom story versus the over the top silly inspired by Raimi, you know version of it which is what we got yeah cuz i know that like in the us it's a pg13 right like rating yeah so like here in the uk it's a 15 so i guess that would be like an r in the in the, in the us essentially like mm-hmm. i think our rating systems work out a bit differently but like it's kind of like caused some like I don't know some people like being a bit weird about the fact that it is a fifteen rated film because it's like another superhero movie from this year that has the same rating as the Suicide Squad, which is a movie that kind of like very much warrants an R rating and to kind of like sure. club those films together feels. I don't know where I sit on it as well because like. I kind of see the point of like this could have been like a, a lower rating, like like very much a PG thirteen movie, but it also does like I don't know it it alludes to a lot darker things that do you know what I mean definitely and yeah it, no definitely there's a couple of moments I had written down where I was like I really think they wanted to go closer to R with like I mean. First of all, when he's smacking around his wife, I mean, that's, you know, pretty heavy stuff, you know, <laughs> once once he starts getting like really, uh, you know, taken over by carnage and and uh, starts getting abusive. And then there's the one scene that was, you know, clearly meant to be more funny and more, I think, brutal and violent when when he says uh, power up and then eats the priest, but he 
Mm-hmm. Kind of, it kind of like cuts away and it doesn't yeah. show it, but that's like such a venom carnage kind of like violent scene that you're you're really kind of just surprised that they didn't go there with it. And I think they just had to pull back and you know stick to that PG thirteen or fifteen out there. Yeah, I think I think from listening to an interview of Andy Circus, like it was a film that uh, got presented to the MPAA a, a couple of times. Like they very much like in in that very much like tick box exercise of how can we make the most amount of money yeah yeah just like did and you can almost like if you kind of look at it again through that lens of like you can go they've trimmed that they've trimmed that like do you know what i mean like i think i think the first time it went they would have went that's an r right but but with suggestions they went if you trim this down if you kind of like do you know i mean like i don't know put put like kind of digital blurring on this bit or whatever or don't hang on that as long you can trim it down to a pg phone so i think it very much is one of those kind of ones that straddles the boundaries of rating as to like sure yeah it like it's 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 the type of thing that would have i don't know back in the day like created a created a new and uh, do you know what I mean like like how was it Raiders of the Lost Ark basically invented the PG thirteen or something like that? Sure, it yeah, kind of would have been those it. ones. Oh, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll get a circus cut one of these days. We'll see what happens. But, <laughs> Three uh, hours. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with the final piece here uh, on my end, uh, and this is a very like simple like one one note piece. But uh, that's Silence of the Lambs for all the scenes of uh, Eddie interviewing Cletus. Mm-hmm. And behind the glass wall, and he's you know presented as this you know complete psychopath, but who's got answers and who can help with the cases outside of the uh, prison. And so, uh, yeah, just a little bit of that Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter thing going on with uh, Woody's character. I that's that I can def I can definitely see that, and I that's one like so I wrote down and I just kind of like skim for I wrote down Mind Hunter or the the new Amber Seely film No Man of God, like that kind of thing of. I, I, I think in the way it relates to like No Man of God is that thing of it's all about Bill Hagmeyer, the um, investigate like the the FBI agent who like interviewed Ted Bundy, like in kind of like in his kind of got the confessions out of him by the end of like what actually happened and stuff like that. But the mm-hmm. film very much deals with that thing of like how long can you stare into the abyss of a killer? and like question that thing like could you could you kill somebody do you know what I mean and I think this film kind of like deals with it because in essence like Venom is very much an anti-hero and like like Venom wants to wants to kill people all the time yeah he wants to eat everyone yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's it it plays around with that idea like quite well and I think like it's uh I don't know it's yeah, it 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 does a fun thing with it and makes that kind of that big topic digestible to a to a wider audience. And I guess if they want to delve deeper into it, they can go on Netflix and watch Mindhunter or something, where it is that thing of like interviewing serial killers and what what makes sure. a serial killer a serial killer. Well, that's huge right now with all the true crime stuff and everything <laughs> like that. But uh, No Man of God is something that I have not gotten a chance to watch yet this year. But I, uh, I want to, I want to watch that. That uh, sounds really good uh, from everything I've heard about it. But right on. Do you have uh, any other pieces you wanted to bring up before we wrap it up? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just throw out uh, a couple of silly ones. A really obvious one is Don Quixote. 
which is like referenced in the film and the idea that mm-hmm. like uh they're chasing like the the idea of like chasing windmills and looking for that uh idea of what is it he says like Don Quixote and San uh, Sancho Pancho like don't see eye to eye but they kind of are going for the same goal at the end of the day which is very much reminiscent of Eddie and uh sure but kind of delivered in this film like uh like like a co- like a first year college student going like I've read Don Quixote. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> let, let's make this film have a bit of like gravitas at the end. Um, and another one would be uh, Sesame Street with the Cookie Monster, and that's all down to uh, Tom Hardy's performance as Venom. Whenever he's like, "Oh, you say tomato, I say tomato," like it just feels like this kind of Cookie Monster voice he's doing all the time, which I love. And um, my final one, and I feel like I have to mention a Nicolas Cage film, and it would be oh, Ghost yeah. Rider Spirit of Vengeance, just for a sequel where it's like handed to someone to just go like, go fucking nuts with it, make the film you kind of want to make. And that very much feels like what um, Neville Dean and Taylor did with that film, where it's like, we can slightly dismiss like the event. You can see the first one. You don't really have to see the first one, but we're just yeah. going to give like, we're going to try our best to give the fans what they want. Do you know what I mean? It's like if that's Ghost Rider pissing fire in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, that's that. If it's uh, Venom, like, full, fully out in a kind of nightclub having his, like, speech about acceptance and coming out to the world, then then you're going to have it. If it's kind of more squabbling and stuff like that, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna give to the, give the fans what what at least they think they want. Man, speaking of giving the fans what they want, could you imagine in the moment right now that Nicolas Cage is having, you know, he's definitely like such a huge thing in the pop culture. If he showed up as Ghost Rider in like the Spider-Man multiverse or something like that, I I think it would just, I think people would just lose their fucking minds. Yeah, well, I, I saw recently that James Mangold talked about, like he tweeted about how much he loved Pig. And all, mm-hmm. all, all, all that's been rattling around my brain is like the Logan treatment on oh. Ghost Rider, like an <laughs> like an aging cage kind of like. Give me it. Like really trying to like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like really in turmoil, like this kind of character study of what it really means to be the Ghost Rider and like being like almost like a, an instrument of evil and Beelzebub and like Lucifer and like, yeah, all, all these kind of, um, uh, Meph- yeah, Mephisto, like bringing in that whole like thing that Marvel were too scared to to touch at the moment and stuff like that. And like, but yeah, given the real James Mangold treatment, what he did with Ooh. Logan would be, oh, oh kind of like, it's, it's one of those things that's never going to happen. And I think like, I know, I know, Ghost Rider popped up in Agents of Shield or something like that, but like oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, so like obviously Sans Cage, so but like yeah, Cage. It, it's great to know that he is involved somewhat tangentially in like the Marvel comic cinematic universe to some degree as like Spider Man Noir, but sure. like. He could play a live action Spider-Man noir. If he turned up in No Way Home as 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 like a an a, a multiversal Spider-Man noir, people just go, 
that fits like I'm, I'm... oh yeah we need it like give it to us <laughs> just give us that please like because <laughs> yeah, I, I i've said it so many i've said it on my podcast i've kind of like said it on other podcasts when i've been invited to talk about spider-man the spider-verse is like that is the definition of somebody who like they know what the assignment is and they do sure. it it's like i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be a noir i'm gonna Humphrey Bogart it up to the eyeballs and like I think there's clips of Cage online when they the directors were like oh we want a bit like we want a bit more and they couldn't quite get the words and he's like you want a bit more Cage I got you and then kind of like really gives them the full Nicolas Cage and it's like for him to I don't know yeah oh you're teasing me here you're teasing me here david you're dangling a carrot that i know i'm never gonna get to 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 nibble on oh man well i'm gonna go ahead and do the finished puzzle here and then we'll get into some closing thoughts on venom let there be carnage our finished puzzle includes marriage story the odd couple brain damage little shop of horrors every adam sandler movie all the different spider-man series Fallen, Natural Born Killers, Hellraiser, Silence of the Lambs, Mindhunter, No Man of God, Don Quixote, Sesame Street, and Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. What an all-over-the-place list of puzzle pieces we got <laughs> with this one. But that's the only way this was ever going to happen. I, I mean, this movie's just so all over the place. But uh, it was definitely a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, are there any things we didn't quite get to that you wanted to uh, bring up? Uh, n- not really it, it like you, you can you can talk about the plot but i don't really think you need to like the right it's it's plot light to some degree and it makes it quite fun it, it, it is it is the definition of leave your brain in the bucket no kind yeah. of just just experience it have fun and just be like feel grateful that you're watching a 90 minute like comic book movie where it's like like we said before you don't have to have seen loads of other stuff and like spoiler alert but like at the end of it carnage is dead like i mean like they kind of like really give the fans what they want of like that scene where he's like fuck this guy and like just bites off cletus cassidy's head and it's like oh that's that's so refreshing there's no like the tease to where it's going to go next is actually exciting as opposed to like there's gonna like yeah it's not got like a second post credits where like uh it's gonna go here within the the venom universe and very much feels like they're flying by the seat of their pants as to where the franchise will go anyway with like i don't know where does tom hardy want it to go and that's what i love about it it feels like a passion project and like if this is what tom hardy wants to like have in his back pocket whenever like he kind of feels the need to return to Eddie Brock because it feels like he's got a lot of love for the character and Venom like so yeah if 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 he returns to these films every few years like I'd love to see a Eddie Venom like road trip movie or something like that like those two kind of like that seems like a good place for it to go yeah like they've got like trains planes and automobiles with Eddie Brock and Venom (laughs) that's that's what I want to see really really go down all those kind of odd couple comedy staples and kind of like pick them off one by one and really give really see how much juice you can drain from this yeah from from tom hardy acting against himself yeah until tom hardy's bored 
basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. He just, yeah, he, he's he's earning the right to do uh, to do this, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we covered it. Um, do do we want to uh, talk about the Eminem song at all? I know that you were uh, kind of fixated on that a little bit. Uh, yeah, like uh, I got so lost in the milieu of the, how like, crazy this film is, and kind of like experience it. So I think it's because in the film, it's not. It feels like they've just wheeled it out for the soundtrack and not the right. film itself. Like, uh, which it really doesn't have just... anything to do with the movie. Like, even a little bit. No, and like the lyrics. So the lyrics to the 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 film, like the first verse, I believe, is like him talking about his addiction to like uh pain medication and sleeping pills and it's like uh like you i don't think you got the you got the assignment on this and then he's like <laughs> egregiously just like on this chorus for the song go like manages to rhyme words that have no right being rhymed together and i'll, I'll kind of yeah I will, I'll recite a couple of them because they just like read out, well, I'll, I'll read them out in kind of boring. Um, this is like a professor version, like, yeah, 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 like yeah. reading it in class. Yeah. So, so it says, Venom, I got that adrenaline momentum. <laughs> I can't help but almost like sing it, but like, I'm not known, uh, I'm not knowing when I'm, yeah. So he uses I'm to rhyme with momentum but like does it in this way where he just like almost half hums it so it's venom i got adrenaline momentum and it like it's it's so it's it reminds me of the time that eminem made that ridiculous claim where he's like i could like oranges or orange you can't rhyme anything with oranges i'm gonna do it and then goes he just manipulates the word oranges so he says oranges, like, and then rhymes it with syringes. And it's like, you haven't rhymed the word oranges. You have changed the pronunciation of the word oranges to fit your agenda here. For the record, um, I used to have a comedy rap thing I did back in college. And uh, back in 2002, 2003, I rhymed orange with door hinge. Um, so I take credit for that. So. Yeah, oh, I think I think that is that is in there as well. Um, yeah, he 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 copied me. I, yeah, he says like I got off, off, off the door hinges, uh, oranges. But then, but the, but then, like he like do you know what I mean syringes? It it doesn't work. And what he does with the chorus on this song is again, he's just manipulating the pronunciation of words. And I guess that is what like hip-hop music is but it just feels so egregious in this court but it's it's like venom itself because it just like it was just in me it was in me like this virus and i couldn't get away from it and it, i kind of like felt this head coming out of me like eminem there yeah. going like listen to it listen to it and i i, I tweeted out recently because it's because it's so hum heavy as well i was like they really sure. missed the trick of not getting like Kid Cuddy on the chorus, who is like the modern king of humming. He's kind of mm. got this career, whether it's like on Kid Sea Ghosts with uh, Kanye West. He's got this whole thing of like one of the beats. It's just him, like him going, mm, mm. just like he's he's just like he's just mastered this like soulful, beautiful hum, and it's like 
you've missed the trick of if you're gonna if you're gonna like be so hum heavy, get the get the king in. Get 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 Kid Cuddy and uh I hope if there is a Venom free and they rehash and yeah, what another thing is this is a remix of a song that was for the first movie. Sure. So it's lazy yeah. that they've just changed the beat up and gone, here you go. Here is the uh here here is a changed beat just so you can like wheel it out for this Tom Hardy called him and was like I need a new song and he was like uh how about this (laughs) (laughs) I got this for you that'll have to do for now and I guess the only like reference to kind of like uh Marvel or the film itself is these lines which I guess is they're quite again like he's throwing out words that like in 2019 and 2020 like even when venom one came out you shouldn't have been saying but like uh yeah just this phrase he says i latch onto you like a parasite and i'm uh probably gonna ruin your parents lives and your childhood too because if i'm the music you grew up on i'm res- responsible for you retarded fools so i'm the super villain mum and dad were losing their marbles to you marvel that Eddie Brock is you, and I'm the suit, so call me Venom. I got the adrenaline, Venom. Yeah. <laughs> I think by reciting those lyrics, we just uh, we just close the chapter on uh, yeah. Venom. Let there be carnage. We let we we really let there be carnage. I've come on here fully red symbiotic madness, and uh, really just <laughs> bit the head off of this motherfucker. There you go. Well, uh, I always ask my guests at the end of the episode, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yes, I recently watched off the back of uh, seeing Sion Sono's work with Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of the Ghostland. I Mm. looked back into the work of Sion Sono and checked out his 2013 film, Why Don't You Play in Hell, which feels like this weird mix of like an american movie slash like kevin smith movies tarantino but only in the way that a japanese director who kind of really just blurs the line between genre it's about these kids who are trying to make a make a movie whilst being about these two rival factioning like yakuza gangs and this bi-generational conflict and stuff like that and just spirals into utter carnage and uh one of the things like yeah a film like prisoners of the ghostland i don't think entirely works uh mm. and uh I've, I've got some spicy takes on, on that film and definitely something you'd be interested in some some puzzle pieces that uh, <laughs> uh if you ever cover that film i look forward to hearing what what, what puzzle pieces come up about that one but one of the things it's really, really made me do is check out the work of prolific Japanese like artist, author, director, Sion Sono, who has just got this staggeringly diverse and wonderful career, whether it's, yeah, like I said, why don't you playing hell, anti-porno, or his kind of magnum opus, the four-hour love exposure. Like, all of those are just like, it's that thing, like... I think that I think is wonderful about uh, foreign cinema is like you kind of you feel like it's, it's the same with like old movies. You feel like you're kind of like oh, I've, I've not I've seen everything, but like when you find out about like 
this director far afield. It's like, not only am I introduced to like a film I've never seen before, it's like I've been introduced to like a style of filmmaking I've almost never seen before. And like, right. So, right. yeah, I think, I think kind of find an entry point into Sion Sono and definitely check out his work. And I think it's beautiful that like with Prison of the Ghostland potentially not working that it could be an amazing gateway for people in like the Western world to check out a director, I guess in the same way that uh, face off would have been like people's entry point to like John Woo. Do you know what I mean? Sure. It's, 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 so you've got to commend, I, I always say you've got to commend cage for kind of working with these directors and kind of shining a spotlight and whether it's not their best film, like it's, it's gonna definitely open the door to, to more eyes on movies by that director and yeah it's yeah so the films of Sion Sono but I've yeah listed free there so I'd definitely say check him out if you haven't awesome great recommendation there so yeah that does it um why don't you tell people again where they can find you and your podcast so you can find me on all social medias uh so that is uh, Twitter Instagram Facebook and Letterboxd all at caged in pod where, yeah, I watch every film that has any involvement from a couple of family member, as tangential as they may be, and any time there is a new Nicolas Cage film out, that takes precedent, and I, I, I dive back in and, um, I don't know, get abused by my, by my first love and uh, see whether it's going to be uh, roses or it's going to be another argument in a restaurant. So, uh, so yeah, come on <laughs> over, uh, join the fight. It's all, yeah, it's, I've had some great guests, some weird and wonderful people, some people you might not know have connections to the Coppola family and stuff like that. But yeah, join, join the party. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me here on this show and, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime, man. Thank you so much, man. I've, yeah, I've loved listening to your podcast. And as I said to you off mic before we started, there's there's an element of crowd participation in listening to your podcast because you, you come up with all your own puzzle pieces that you may have missed. But I think it, it, gives, the, it gives the podcast a, a second lease of life that you can then have these discussions online and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm glad I could be a part of this uh, weird and wonderful concept. Comic book stores, sports card shops, the exciting atmospheres of being a geek kid in the 90s. I'm Micah, a 36-year-old girl dad, hubby, and geek. And on the Tavern Geek Podcast, my friends and I ramble on about geek culture and NBA basketball while enjoying crafted adult beverages. So, kick back and enjoy us, the Tavern Geeks. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, glad to be able to get a chance to talk about that one and not let it slide by because uh, as far as, you know, we, we usually cover all the big Marvel movies, but this being its own little side thing, it's kind of a little bit of a different thing to try to cover. So uh, I'm glad we got to have this conversation. Make sure to check out Caged In, and thank you to Petros for joining me here. Uh, as always, I want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can, of course, follow us over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Good Pods, any of the podcast apps. We should be there. You can, of course, rate and review us on all of those as well. 
Five stars would be nice, but, you know, let us know what you're thinking about the show. If there's any uh, puzzle pieces you think we missed or you want to say, hey, that was a good puzzle piece on that one, uh, get in touch with me, you know, at PiecingPod on all the social medias. I'm trying to be more active on Instagram lately, uh, but also, you know, Twitter's kind of my home base. And, of course, the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. That's where you can always find me. Uh, But, yeah, get in touch. Let us know what you think of the show and uh, any puzzle pieces we might have missed or that you thought were really good ones. I I love hearing from people that listen. And so uh, definitely get in touch. And, uh, you know, the Patreon produced by David Rosen. Check it out. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Lots of great content over there. And hopefully by the time this goes up, I'll have readied some bonus tracks from the Dissection Table, my most recent album. It's on the to-do list. I haven't done it yet. But uh, I'm going to get those ready soon. And maybe they'll be up by the time this goes up. I don't know. But they are coming to that produced by David Rosen Patreon. So check that out. And uh, speaking of my music, let's close this thing out with a piece of my music. And I'm going to go with a classic, so to speak. I mean, it's weird to call my own music a classic. But classic as far as the world of uh, my music is concerned. This is Back Into the Dark. I'm sure I've played it a bunch of times on the podcast over the last five years. Uh, It's one of my favorite tracks that I've put out. Uh, There's a really cool stop-motion animated music video for it made by a visual artist named B. Landers. It's like really dark and creepy and messed up and weird. And that's what made me think of it with uh, Let There Be Carnage because it's kind of looks a little bit like the Venom creature. But uh, yeah, let's play this track. It's from my third album, Head Like Fire. It's called Back Into the Dark. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.